my old homiletics professor, Bill Sifke. He used to say, boys, never be afraid to give up your pulpit to somebody else. If they're not as good as you, it'll cause your people to appreciate you more. If they're better than you, they deserve the break. I think we have got a really tough time making it so that he feels like they deserve the break. What a kitchen has to do with following Jesus. Perhaps I should put that as a question. What does a kitchen have to do with following Jesus? Or better yet, what does my kitchen have to do with following Jesus? Well, the answer to that question started on my, of all places, roof about a quarter century ago. Debbie and I had decided that our then shake roof needed replacing. It was the original roof on the house. It was about 35 years old. And while discussing this matter of replacing the roof, Debbie said, well, you know, the dishwasher is on its last legs and the kitchen sink has been chipped from the day we bought the house. We've always meant to replace it. So after some discussion, we decided to replace both when we replaced the roof. And everything went well. The old decaying shakes were replaced with new shingles, 50-year shingles. The avocado green, that tells you how old they were, dishwasher and sink were replaced with nice almond-colored appliances. I thought things were going well, superb even. Then Debbie said, don't you think the cupboards need refinishing? They look terrible. I had to agree. So I said, if you think they need redoing, you go right ahead. And so she did. She sanded down the cupboards. There was dust everywhere. And then we went and bought some light blue-gray paint, and she painted all the cupboards. It looked terrific. Then she said, don't you think the soffits look bare? I think they need some wallpaper trim. So now we went and looked at wallpaper. And we hung our first wallpaper trim all around the kitchen. And I had to agree it did look better. It looked great. Except, as you know, she then began to say, don't you think that the stove sticks out like a sore thumb? It had been avocado green too. And you know the floor, it needs replacing. And then, you know, the countertops look kind of rough. I should have known better. Replace one thing, and the rest is soon to follow. Hear the words of Jesus from Luke 14. Now large crowds were traveling with him, 
And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Everything that I know about the former Tonight Show host, Jay Leno, and it isn't much, says that he is a nice guy. I've watched The Tonight Show, and I didn't always like his jokes, but everything I have ever heard about him says he is a nice guy. I am told that when Leno returned from entertaining troops in Saudi Arabia during the Gulf War, he brought a list of 200 telephone numbers of parents of troops in the war. And Leno called all 200 personally to say he had seen their sons and daughters and that they were fine. Leno will even stop on the freeway to help a stranded motorist. On one occasion, he pulled over for a group of men standing around an old Cadillac and he offered the use of his cell phone so they could call for help. And the men took advantage of the offer. They called home to El Salvador. <laughs> Leno didn't find out until he got the bill. Of course, Leno can easily afford a call to El Salvador. Most of us probably would think twice, though, before offering the use of our telephone to others, to strangers. Our generos generosity might cost us a fair amount. How many of us have been burned because we did not ask the cost before we made a commitment? I think many of us get into Christianity in the same way I got into redoing my kitchen and Leno got into helping. We begin in one area, and before we know it, it is costing us more than we expected. And we draw a line. Debbie and I had been considering either a new stove or a new, of her new flooring, not both. Our discipleship suffers because we don't count the cost. Jesus knew that people make that kind of mistake sometimes. We get caught up in a, in a movement without thinking where our involvement is leading us. He knew that we sometimes leap before we look. 
Such people are unlikely to stay with a program for very long. Their commitment will almost always be superficial. So in the passage we read, Jesus decided it was time to begin the process of separating the wheat from the chaff. Chaff, however you pronounce it. There was a large crowd following Jesus, as usual. After all, he was the hottest ticket in town. Many were following him out of mere curiosity or because they had nothing else to do. He wasn't interested in that. Jesus wasn't looking for spectators. He wanted disciples. He didn't want gawkers. He wanted people who were willing to put their life on the line. So he decided to put them to the test. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, Jesus told the multitude, cannot be my disciple. Wow, what powerful words. What does he mean, hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself? Well, Jesus went on. He said, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What does he mean, carry a cross? The crowd was baffled. Only criminals carried crosses. And while the crowd was digesting this, Jesus added, for which of you intending to build a tower or refinish a kitchen does not sit down and estimate the cost? to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will ridicule him. Well, of course, Jesus was not talking about building towers at all. He was talking about building lives. He knew that some of the people who were following him had no idea of what they were getting into. They were caught up in his works of healing. They were fascinated by the interesting stories that he told. They liked hearing him tweak the Pharisees on occasion. They just did not know what following him would entail. The words, hate your father and mother, are disturbing. But Jesus knew that the time would come when people would be disowned by their families because they followed him. People would lose their property because they followed him. Many would even lose their lives because they followed him. To follow Jesus was no small decision. It was no Sunday afternoon diversion. No harmless but satisfying hobby. It cost people everything they had. Jesus wanted his listeners to think through the possible consequences before they made a commitment. It's like an inscription that appears on the west wall of Westminster Cathedral. It reads like this. That way, thou that prayest, this way, thou that passest by. 
You see, back in 1632, a passageway was cut through the southwest corner of that great cathedral. It was necessary because over the centuries, people had acquired the habit of taking a shortcut through the nave of the church and out the, south, the side door in the south transom. Merely using the cathedral as a shortcut may not have been so bad, but some thoughtless people were carting their produce for market with them. The traffic got so bad that the Bishop of Winchester was forced to act. Thus a passage was carved out that people could pass through the southwest corner of the church without disturbing those in the sanctuary. And over that passageway, these words, that way those of you who prayest, that way those who pass by. That was the kind of sign Jesus was trying to erect. This way, those who are willing to pay the price of discipleship. That way, those who are merely here for the show. Jesus wanted the multitude to think through the commitment they were making. For you see, following Christ is a call to commitment. When you are baptized, you are not simply joining a social club. You're not merely joining another organization, not if you take your vows seriously. To be baptized, to be a baptized member of Christ's body is to be crucified with him. Remember what Paul wrote to the Romans? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? To be baptized is to stake your life and everything you have on his call to service. It's to make a decision about your priorities in life. Christ first, everything else second. It's a call to commitment. It's a call to decision about who Christ is in your life. When Chris Everett, the great tennis star, started high school. She deeply wanted to be a cheerleader. No surprise there. Lots of girls in those days wanted to be cheerleaders. But Everett, but Everett also wanted to be an outstanding tennis player. She had to make a choice. It was not easy. Like most girls that age, she wanted the acceptance of her friends at school, and cheerleading was a good way to get it. She went to two tryouts, and she thought she was pretty good. Her dad gave her some good advice, though. You can either be a great player, he said, or you can be a cheerleader and go to all the parties and turn out to be an average player. Chris Everett could have been a cheerleader, but she couldn't have done that and won five U.S. Opens and two Wimbledons. As Fred Hartley says in his book, Growing Pains, that choice by Chris Everett while still a teenager was probably the single greatest choice ever made for the advancement of women's sports because her success changed the attitude 
about women in sports. When she was 14, she laid aside most of the thrills and the, and the, and the frills of a common teenage life. In fact, Chris Everett only attended one prom and one slumber party throughout her whole high school days. She had a higher goal, and she committed herself to it. Life is filled with choices like that. There are choices that are not to be made impulsively, but after much prayer and searching of the soul. For every time you could choose one alternative, you cut yourself off from others. In fact, the word decision comes from the Latin roots de, which means from, and cadere, which means to cut. Chris Everett cut herself off from cheerleading in order to excel at tennis. No, most important decisions are like that. When we marry, ideally we decide for one person and we cut ourselves off from everyone else. When we accept a job, we cut ourselves off from other opportunities we might have had. Jesus wanted those who were following him to realize that if they accepted his call to discipleship, they might very well be cutting themselves off from family and friends, from material comfort, perhaps even from life itself. It was not time for an impulsive reply. Jesus knew, however, that impulsiveness was not the biggest barrier that most people face. The biggest barrier is inaction. For everyone who leaps without looking, there are a dozen more who never leap at all. They stay on the sidelines. They become God's frozen people. Many years back, there was an interview on the evening news with a homeowner named Paul Swanson. There had been terrible mudslides in Swanson's community, a cul-de-sac with many fine homes on it. Swanson's was the only one not destroyed. It seems that two years before, the owners on Swanson's block had hired an engineer to advise them. They wanted to know if they should build stronger foundations around their homes. The engineer said he would so advise, yes but that realistically the odds were against a landslide in that area. Mr. Swanson was the only one in the community who spent the $20,000 to strengthen the foundation of his home. The others heard the advice and took their chances. And that very next year, the devastating mudslides came. Some of his friends may have called Paul Swanson impulsive for spending so much money when the engineer has said that such slides were unlikely. And if the slides had never come, he might have felt like his investment was wasted. But after serious consider consideration, he made a decision to act. And obviously, he was lucky he did. 
Most people, you see, do not have as much difficulty with impulsiveness as they do with inaction. It's that first step that is the hardest. It's that initial decision that is the most daunting. Our hearts are warm, but our feet are cold. Jesus knew that impulsiveness was a problem for only a few, but many more are hindered by their unwillingness to make a commitment. And that brings us to the important conclusion that we can draw from Jesus' teaching. Sometime or other, we must make a decision about following Jesus. We must decide if we will be mere observers of the passing scene and what others are doing, or movers and shakers for the kingdom. We must decide whether we will stay among the curious and the complacent or take up the cross and follow in his footsteps. There is no standing on the sideline, Jesus tells us. Either we are in the game or we are not. Have you ever read Franz Kafka? I suspect Matt has. I don't claim to have read much of him or to fully understand him. But he tells an interesting tale in his novel, The Trial. A man has been instructed to enter a kingdom through a certain gate. He finds his way to the gate but notices a sentinel guarding the entrance. So he sits down and waits for the sentinel to give him instructions or to grant permission to enter. The guard says nothing and says nothing and again says nothing very loudly. So the man continued to sit waiting for something to happen. For a whole lifetime he sat. Finally, the guard closes the door and turns to the man. This door was made for you and you alone, he said. And because you chose not to enter it, it is being closed forever. Franz Kafka wrote many deep and profound things, and I do not pretend to understand all that he meant by this story but it could be a parable of the kingdom of God. You and I have a decision to make. Christ has set before us an open door. Christ has given us the opportunity to pursue the kingdom life or to spend our lives as spiritual couch potatoes. Only we can make that choice. Lucy O'Brien, one of the pioneer newspaper women in Florida, put it this way. She said, the most important question a person ever asks is, if I die today, what will my life have stood for? If I die today, what will my life have stood for? Let me put that question to you, even as I put it to myself. If you were to die today, what will your life have stood for? 
I don't want you, you to answer impulsively. You need to count the cost before you answer. To say yes to one thing is to say no to many others. But the greatest danger is not impulsiveness, but inaction. Only 12 men and a small but unknown number of women out of thousands who ever heard Jesus teach said yes to his call for discipleship. The rest decided the cost was too high. They were too comfortable the way they were. How about you?